You're listening to Jesus Walks on Wall Street, where real people working in the finance industry talk about life, work, and faith, with your host, Pastor Nathan Hart. I'm here with David and Ansley McFarland. Thank you guys both so much for joining me for the podcast, Jesus Walks on Wall Street. Uh, David is a investment manager for Drake Capital. This is a firm, David, that you founded. Is that correct? That is correct. And Ansley is a real leader in our community. She is a person involved in leading Bible studies for women, and she is someone who's just really passionate about relationships and cultivation and connection. And Ansley, you actually had a brief career on Wall Street as well. You worked for something called Kidder Peabody yes. uh, before you started raising your three wonderful boys. I did, Nathan. Thank you for having us. Um, and I just thank you for what you offer at Sandwich Church and in our community. You're a real gift to us. Thank you very much. This is really fun for me. You guys, you're embarrassed to hear me say this, but you guys are a real inspiration. You're an inspiration to me, uh, to you know, in, even in my marriage. Um, but also as a leader in this community as well, and you're an inspiration to many. So I know that you don't like me saying that, but it's let's, very true. Let's see if it holds true when we're done. <laughs> yeah, let's see if you're still an inspiration after we talk here. Um, so I want to begin with a little bit of an origin story. I was going to ask you how you guys met, but I know that there's an interesting story while you guys were dating, where Ansley, you really learned that this was your guy. Can you tell that story? Yes, uh, I was teaching Sunday school at the time, and, and uh, the group was were teenagers, and we would meet on Sunday night, and we were we always wanted to make it fun and interactive, and we were doing something along the lines of Paul being in jail. I don't remember the exact um, passage we were working off of, but I had a, one of the kids that was going to be Paul, and I needed a jailer, and. I thought David would be perfect. We had been dating a while. I don't remember how long we'd been dating at the time, but I thought he'd be great. But the the one glitch is that it was Super Bowl Sunday, and most 25-year-olds were planning to spend the evening with watching the game with a beer and some chips in hand. So um, I didn't know what he would say, but as it turned out, he came along and very enthusiastically played the jailer. He dressed the party, hammed it up. He threw... F- all the kids into the jail, fed them McDonald's, and we had um, a really wonderful um, meeting that night. And I think that definitely gave him some major kudos in the dating um, relationship. Wow, David. Do you remember that night? I do remember that. And uh, we we had known each other for a while by that time because we actually, Ansley came from California to Atlanta for her senior year of high school. And so we were in the same senior high school class. And then we both went to UVA and never dated during any of that time. We had a lot of friends in common. Um, and then we both took jobs in Atlanta after UVA. And um, and I was about the only person that Ansley knew that knew had any idea what she did at mm-hmm. Kidder Peabody. So we'd have lunch, you know, once a week or once every other week. and. And this friendship sort of blossomed, and it was a fun time in Atlanta, a lot of young people, and uh, it was just a really wonderful period for us. And uh, it was probably a test mm. to figure out really <laughs> What's a test? Where, were, where were my priorities, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> and would I answer the call or not? He passed with flying colors. That's great. That's great. Have you missed any Super Bowls since then for her? 
Well, I missed a few that she went to, and I wasn't <laughs> ah, invited. Ah, yes. No. You know, I have to just tell a quick story here. Recently, we were all at a um, fundraiser in New York City, and there was Jim Nance, you know, the NFL commentator. And uh, you can recognize this guy. He's a famous guy. And David, you walked right up to him. And he said, hey, Jim. And he turned around. He looked at you. And he goes, hey, is Ansley here? I've been looking to connect with her. Now, you guys are hilariously connected to all these celebrities. That we did this movie thing at our church. And all of a sudden, you figured out how to get a selfie video with Steph Curry, one of the most. How are you guys so connected to celebrities? I don't really we're think not, of it as... We're not, actually. Are those the only two that you're connected <laughs> No, we just... Um, I don't even think of it in terms of celebrities. It's just some really wonderful friends have been woven into our life through unique circumstances. And, and, um, those two happen to have a very deep faith, Jim Mm -hmm. and Steph. So that's another bridge between us. That's great. David, I want to talk about, uh, Drake capital for just a moment. What I would love for you to do is for the person who's listening to this, who really doesn't know much about the finance industry. They don't know, you know, what you do. Can you describe in layman's terms, what your job is well i guess i had always been attracted to finance and uh after business school we moved we got married and moved straight to london for um uh, for a job that i had taken and then about five years later um i took a job to run a family office for a family in europe uh, effectively managing their capital and it was invested mostly in and around hedge funds and um, it was a space that that I had some involvement with and um, so that prompted us really to move back to the New York area to set up an, an office for this family mm-hmm. um, and so we've we've really been in the investment business investing just identifying great money managers around the world in different strategies and and trying to invest capital wisely um i i ran that office for about eight years and then set up my own business uh, drake capital in 2001 which is we've got a number we got a great group of people mm-hmm. uh at, at drake capital and so it's been a fun adventure and uh, so that's been 18 years ago, and we continue to invest uh, capital for a group of families and foundations and endowments, really with the mission of if we can do our job well, we can enable Mm -hmm. other endowments and foundations to fulfill their missions. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, I think it was Lloyd Blankfein who described investment banking is the Lord's work. I'm not sure I would go quite so yeah, far to, to make that claim, yeah. but but I do think that we we are called to use our gifts and and um, uh, the world is full of, of gifted people mm-hmm. and, and fortunately they're not all the same gifts because they come together mm-hmm. uh, to to allow it all to work. Yeah, so um, Wall Street being the Lord's work, it's sort of tongue-in-cheek, right? But, you know, I was talking with David Kim. I think you guys know him, don't yes. you? And, and I was having him describe private equity, and he was talking about, I think it was his maybe his mother-in-law or somebody who lives on a teacher's pension, 
in another state and those pensions really need private equity investment to to grow and to keep funding you know these retired teachers so that really kind of brought it home for me mm-hmm. you know you think about people working on wall street like how how is this connected to the overall economy but you've really described that well too uh, there's you may be aware of this but in places like the heartland and other places in the country there's a bit of a resentment about even the term wall street um, or if they begin to understand that all the finance industry, they might think those people are they're just getting wealthy while I'm stuck behind. Can you help maybe people understand well, it's, that dynamic? It's, I mean, I view, I sort of view Wall Street as being um, the, the oil that facilitates the workings of of the economic Mm -hmm. engine Mm -hmm. really it's the it's a place where the supply and demand for capital meet and effectively is priced Mm -hmm. and so it's a it's a necessary function to allow our economy to work i think the 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 reputation as you alluded to in the heartland of 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 wall street um is not always great but you know you can point to a lot of industries that don't have great reputation it doesn't mean that the people in it mm. are not good but of course whenever you have people dealing with a lot of capital yeah. there's scope for abuse and and this industry uh financial industry is no different and perhaps it's even more vulnerable to uh, falling prey to temptation because there's a lot of capital around. And yeah. so, you know, it's a shame, but, but it's just like anything else. Um, it only takes, you know, a couple of bad apples to spoil yeah. the bunch. And, and the reputation of a lot of good, hardworking people can be, yeah. can be discolored by yeah. the bad acts of a, of, of a smaller few. No, you're right. That's one of the reasons actually that I'm doing this podcast is because I know there's listeners like back in Michigan where I grew up and there's there can tend to be a really big, broad stroke. You know, they talk about Hollywood and how bad it is and Wall Street and how bad it is. And I want them to hear stories like this, people like you guys. And I want to turn now to you, Ansley. Mm-hmm. I want people to hear about someone like you who I started the episode by calling you a real leader in our community. Mm-hmm. I do see you that way. And I see you as a spiritual leader in the community. You're a leader in something called Greenwich Bible Study. Can you talk to us about that? Yes, it's an organization that was started almost 30 years ago um, in town by Debbie Reynolds. And I'm just fortunate at this point to be a part of a team that mm-hmm. keeps it going. We have an extraordinary team that work mm-hmm. together the Greenwich Bible Study is an annual lunch that consists of various Bible studies throughout the community. It's They're not in one particular Bible study. They're not from one particular church or even, um, you know, a belief system that could, there are Catholics, Protestants, some people that don't go to church. It doesn't really matter to us. We just want to bring people into a room um, and have them listen to a speaker that would inspire them and encourage them in their faith. Mm-hmm. And you were one of the speakers a few years ago, mm-hmm. which people um, who people really enjoyed learning from Nathan, and we still thank you for that. Um, but I do think that 
the idea of scripture being a roadmap mm-hmm. is one that's so important to all of us. And I know it helps ground me. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I am not as disciplined about it and I can usually tell when I'm not. And so this lunch is just a way to encourage people in the community to involve themselves yeah. in some sort of Bible study. Yeah. It's uh, our, the group itself, we recognize that the, that day, the lunch is not about us. It's mm-hmm. not about anything other than people being connected script- to scriptures and learning yeah. more about their, about God and, and inspiring them in their faith. So it's just a joy to be a part of. And I'm grateful that we have so many people come. It's yeah. sometimes as close to 400 people that um, want to be there in that room. Uh, when I when I look around that room and I see all those people, you know, most of whom are already involved in a Bible study and, and nobody leaves that luncheon without being encouraged to join some Bible mm-hmm. study. And I look around and I think, like you're saying, Scripture being a grounding thing in your life. And what an amazing gift to a community where you are rallying people to center their lives on God's Word. In a community like this, like David, you alluded to, where there is so much capital, there is so much temptation, there is so much potential for worldliness, mm-hmm. yet there are people like you and others encouraging people to, to just spend an hour or two a week with other people, opening up this ancient text, mm-hmm. learning from it, letting it be a counterbalance, a counter narrative to all the things that we're hearing from our culture and in our town. So I just really applaud that work and you know, you, you do it in a very culturally relevant way. You know, it's, it's, it's Greenwich acceptable. It's not like, I don't know, it could be a number of different things, but you really make it accessible for people who live here. It's really great. What I love about that day is, is that people walk in the room and are just so thrilled to see the others that have gathered there for the same purpose. And I just want to clarify too, it's not that the people in that room have it together in any way. I would th- yeah. It's a beautiful group of women, but there's so much imperfection in all of us. Yeah. And I love the fact that we just gather there in this humble place where we just want to know more about our creator. Mm-hmm. And it's a very special day and I am very grateful to be a part of it. It's great. Now, speaking of an organization like that, I know you guys are involved in some other organizations, other ways to really bless the community. Can you talk about anything, any other passions of yours? Well, I, I would say that one, one of the joys that we've had has been the ability to, to, to live in town. My office has always been in Greenwich. So the ability to integrate our lives mm-hmm. with other aspects of the community has been a real blessing. And um, Ansley's father, who's been a, a great had a great impact on me in a lot of different dimensions Mm. has this comment about he wants to live his life in a in a marble cake not in a layer cake what does he mean by that meaning to integrate the multiple dimensions Mm -hmm. in our lives as opposed to living them separately Mm -hmm. and so um i've it's been a pleasure for me to to be involved in things like the boys and girls club been involved over the at the school our boys went to Mm -hmm. uh brunswick been involved in various capacities at stanwich 
Uh, I've been involved in some things down at UVA. Mm -hmm. And so all of those just have added uh, dimension and has brought other people into our lives that we wouldn't have otherwise known. And so the ability to integrate also requires outreach and effort. We've got to, you know, you got to have something to integrate. Mm -hmm. So, so the ability to, to do some of those things, which may or may not have had common threads with my profession, but Mm -hmm. it it just adds to a great richness of, Mm -hmm. of life. And, and we've been blessed by getting to know so many people in the community as a result of that. Mm-hmm. I think dimension is so important. And that's one of the things that we've tried to encourage our boys to do is to seek dimension, whether mm-hmm. it's age um, differential of people they're mm-hmm. with or socioeconomic backgrounds, passions, political views, um, yeah. race. But I think that dimension is so important. And I think our culture seems to be in a lot of ways siloing more and totally. more. And, and I, I think we, we're, we're, we lose out when, when we choose to only yeah. um, connect with the people we I'm feel kidding. we have the most in common with. Totally. You know, I, I'm still stuck in this amazing image from your dad, the layer cake versus the marble cake that is so descriptive and beautiful. And you're right. I feel like we're in a cultural moment right now where everything's becoming a layer cake. Everybody's dividing by, any way they can figure out how to divide race, even gender, you know, class, political affiliation. And what a beautiful thing that you guys are describing of integration and, and you know, marbling your lives into the lives of others. And um, that is so great. You mentioned your boys. And uh, I know these guys, they're all young men now. I keep saying boys and children, but you really have young adults on your hands. Um, can you just talk about raising sons in light of your faith in God, in light of these other things we've been talking about, about the challenges of culture? Well, first I'll say that Ansley, as one of four girls, really struggled to understand the necessity of every time one of the boys would walk by one of the others, there was an elbow or a punch or some sort of physical contact which she just couldn't quite comprehend (laughs) and so it's been i I give her a lot of credit for um for figuring out how to stay relevant uh in a uh in a family she really calls it of four boys and uh and so uh there's some there's some great stories about um, um ways in which she has tried to tried to broaden and expose the boys. But as far as trying to... I will interject here um, on the on the interaction slash fighting um, mm-hmm. front because um, there we had plenty of that in our, in our mm-hmm. family and I needed to find some comic relief. So there were occasions when I donned a referee outfit and had a whistle wow. and went <laughs> um, running in to break something up. And of course, it was funny the first time, the second time, and then... then then the effectiveness wore off. So yeah. I was also looking for new ways to make it, to inject some humor in the situation when I felt it was pretty dire. You need to. My kids right now, they're 9 and 11, almost 10 and 12, and they just suddenly entered the bickering phase. 
they were really so pleasant all through childhood, honestly. <laughs> and I know a lot of little kids aren't, but mine were. Now, all of a sudden, oh, my goodness. You know, my son can make a noise in one room, and my daughter is shushing him from the next room. Stop <laughs> stop making that noise. And it's like they don't even have to be in the same room. So well, my mother, try to referee out there. My mother gave me a lot of wisdom on that front because I was wringing my hands Dave and I both at times, and she gave me such great advice. She said, this is the one forum to teach conflict resolution when they're young, and they will fight, but you can help them understand the resolution through that and the love that can come after. And a lot of people will never have someone helping them through that. And then from that, when she mentioned that, it helped me understand to look at it a little bit differently and see it as an opportunity to help them work through it as opposed to just a way to drive me crazy. Yep, or or constantly saying, don't do that right now. Okay, let's see how we we can resolve this. And then they can take those skills into adulthood. Mm -hmm. That's great. David, I feel like you were going to start talking about... Well, as I think about it, um, first of all, we made loads of mistakes. Mm -hmm. So we certainly don't have this figured out. Yeah. but as we as we tried to think about how we were going to raise the boys, I think the first step was to acknowledge the priority of uh, their growing up in a home of faith. Yeah. But interestingly, um, each of the boys uh, had somewhat different paths to that. Mm-hmm. And that partly reflected our own willingness to be a little bit flexible in what that looked like. So, you know, Sunday morning or Sunday sometime, we would we would do what we could to get to church. Mm-hmm. But as these boys started growing up and the conflicts of sports and yeah. other activities we felt like we wanted them to be integrated again, uh, to have the ability to pursue those areas of interest to them while also exposing them to the importance of faith and community. Mm -hmm. So there would be times where we would decide to have Sunday school at home. Mm -hmm. There might be times where we would go to the evening service. Mm -hmm. There might be times when Anza would take one of them to morning service and be on a hockey rink in the afternoon and, and I do the flip. So Mm -hmm. so it, Mm -hmm. it was disruptive Mm -hmm. at times. And there were times we were frustrated by, we never seemed to be together as a family, Mm -hmm. but for us, we were just trying to figure out something that worked. And we didn't want to be so rigid about it to yeah, say, right. sorry, if they have hockey practice on Sunday, you're just not going to be able to go. Now, some people might say that's that's spiritually flawed, and, and maybe it is. But we just tried to do something that would work for us. And then as they got into into high school and youth group and so forth, it didn't, you know, they were working hard at school. They didn't necessarily have the freedom to go to church youth group on Tuesday night at mm-hmm. eight o'clock. So, so we, we were able to work with either focus or young life mm-hmm. or to find 
spiritual mentors who would great. who would become involved with them yeah. closer to their age who mm-hmm. could who could speak to them in their own language and encourage them alongside of us that was really helpful i remember there was a period of one of our boys where he just couldn't hear it from us it just yeah. what we said was not something he could he could um hear in the same way we thought we were um communicating mm-hmm. and our uh the the youth minister at the time at Stanwich was so helpful because he could say something to our boys or to that particular boy in a just a slightly different way that would help our son understand it and it wasn't that he we used him as an agent to perpetuate our views sure. at all he was just a a go between he our son knew that he had his best interests at heart and but he was so um that was a really critical time for us as parents of teens to have, yeah. an, as David suggested, an intermediary, someone a little closer to their age, who the kids trusted and we trusted, who could kind of navigate some of the, yeah. the, the wide chasm between us. Um, I would say that was a real gift for us. And we've always prayed for people to be woven into our children's lives that would point them to the um to god and that has happened in varying degrees for varying children but it's a worthy prayer i think because it's been so exciting to see how it's been answered and it might have come in the form of a coach or a boss but we have seen that prayer answered where really foundational people to who they are who had a faith base to them that have been woven to our kids' lives, and it's been a real blessing to us. One of the great blessings for me involved Lance and Brandon, who's had a focus in the area, for our youngest son, um, who decided to invite one other young man to do a Bible study together. It was a, a young man who had moved here from Africa, and and his father was a pastor, but he hadn't found community Christian community here in Greenwich. And it started out just the two of them, and then it grew. And we had a group of high school boys that would come to our house maybe um, once every two or three weeks. And it ended up being, on occasion, 20 boys. And my job was to make them breakfast. And I'm not a morning person, so that was a big challenge. But I get up and knew that um, bacon and, and, um, pancakes. Yeah. And, um, (laughs) would, would be something that would be welcomed first thing in the morning, but these kids would come and I just made them breakfast. And then they were in the dining room with Brandon and Lance and one of the teachers, Steve Mandis, who's also at Stanwich church would come. And it was an incredible blessing to, David and to me to see this gathering of young boys before school at 630. I was just blown away that they would want to come. And would Brandon lead an actual Bible study? Yes, they they would have a a Bible study. They'd eat breakfast and they'd interact in some social way. And then that was such a nice thing for the boys because they'd see each other at school and knew that they all had that in common. But it was a real blessing to the two of us because we just cherished having these young people in our home and we're still in contact with most of the boys and it's fun to hear what they're doing now that they're in college. And We, we had a, a few of them who lived further away and they would come usually and spend the night the night before. 
and it was always such a highlight for me. So we'd be around the dinner table, and we'd have all these boys around, and it was just, it was so fun. Now, uh, David, you have a, um, uh, an insight from John Ortberg about the wisdom that you would give to the next generation. you want to share that? Well, John is a, is a longtime friend of ours, and uh, I just I love listening to his sermons because there's all, always so much wisdom in them. But I think that one of the things we've tried to expose our boys to is the importance of intentionality and we all need help in guiding our path and unless we establish at an early stage where we're trying to get to what do we want to be who do we want to be what do we really want to become what how do we think about our epitaph? Mm-hmm. Unless we have some some guidance and some some mileage markers, if you will, we we it, it, we need guidance for our decisions along the way. And John had this sermon that he entitled uh, "The Secret to Making Great Decisions," and his point was that really nobody uh, decides one day that they're going to become um, uh, a thief or uh, any number of other things. It usually starts with small decisions, very small decisions, that take us a little bit off of God's path. Mm-hmm. And, and then the the, the difference becomes a little bit more and a little bit more until perhaps we can't see God's path or we don't have a, um, a mileage marker to redirect us. And so I think that the point of this thinking about intentionality, we have to have a, a North Star mm-hmm. to guide us. Mm-hmm. And the sooner we can set that, the more it will guide our decisions along the way. He had this, he had this one quote, which I'll give to you out of this. Um, there, is, there is almost not a single train wreck decision people make, and we all make them, that would not have been prevented just by asking one wise person to speak seriously into our lives and then listening. And so that 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 sort of speaks to the importance of yeah. of of mentors yeah. and having spiritual mentors as well. But it also speaks to the point of having a north star that will help to guide our decisions. There's a there's a quote he also used from Proverbs that said, "The way of fools seems right to them." Mm-hmm. We you know we've got to have people speaking into our yeah. into our lives. We've got to have mileage markers that help to guide us. There's a line in the New Testament that said, exhort one another daily as long as it is called today. Yeah. In other words, like we need each other to tell us to tell us what the blind spots are in our lives. It's like, how, how often do we need that? Well, is today today? Then yeah, yeah. Today. May as well start now. Yeah, exactly. It's how much we need it. Um, sort of along those lines, one of the, my prayers for the, for the boys is that we can, I can see them afresh every day, that Dave and I can see them afresh every day mm. because... 
that's so important that, um, and I, I think we we're, our culture's about labels sometimes, and even I hear it a lot with parents when they'll talk about one of their children being the responsible one or mm. the independent one or the needier one, and I never want to have those those mm. that tunnel vision about my children. I want to give them the the ability to be fresh and new, mm. and that, and sometimes the independent one actually does need your help mm. um and sometimes but didn't know how to ask for it necessarily but you weren't even aware that you thought they were so independent you weren't you, you weren't sensitive to that and and sometimes the um the 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 moody one might feel uh m- might need a fresh start on mm-hmm. on that yeah. label yeah. and so um i was thinking about one of my favorite books that i read with the children when they were younger is by Max Lucado and it's called You Are Special. Mm-hmm. And it's a book that a three-year-old would enjoy and a 93-year-old could be inspired about. And it's about these um, puppets called Wemmicks. And they go around in their little village and if someone does something good, they put a star on them. Mm-hmm. And then if they do something bad, they put a dot on them. Mm-hmm. And so pretty soon they're walking around and people have a collection of stars or dots or some combination. And... Um, but it perpetuates itself. The people that only have dots just seem to collect more dots. In fact, people just give them dots because they already have dots. And there's this one puppet who doesn't have anything um, affixed to her. And this one particularly challenged puppet asks her, you know, how are you? Why don't you have stars or dots? And And she tells him that she spends time every day with her creator and that they don't people try to give her labels but they don't stick and I love that because I really want to be able to see our own children with fresh eyes just like I want the um, to be offered that same chance by others and not feel that past mistakes are um, going forward with me and so that sort of ties in a little bit with what you're saying but I love that image of um, spending time with the creator until the labels don't stick i had an image in my mind as you were describing that of you know whatever things that have have been put on us you know let's say we got a star let's say we got a victory or a success when we go with our creator we give that to him and then it's Mm -hmm. no longer on us or if somebody gave us the dot we give that to him as well he carries our burden so Mm -hmm. every time we go see him those things get removed from us in a healthy way as we've been talking for this last half an hour or so has the holy spirit brought to either of your minds anything else that you would like to share with those listening in on this uh there's a couple other things that i think we have in in a world of busyness that we've you know struggled with and tried to figure out and i think one of them is how to say yes to things but just as important is how to say no to things right we have to have you figured out the secret to that because i would love to hear from you <laughs> no I, I really haven't but I, but but again it comes down to uh having a compass having priorities right. and trying to make decisions that are consistent with those priorities mm-hmm. and it, it it always gets bungled up and and you know, there's bad decisions that come along the way. Um, but but I do think the importance for us of trying to maintain a, a shared perspective and a unified voice 
mm-hmm. to support one another. As a couple you're talking about. As a couple yeah. in our raising of kids and our relationships with other people, um, even though it may not be a direction that one of us might have chosen, mm-hmm. we, we've had to figure out ways to to try to support one another. And uh, there have been a couple other things that I've tried to do with the boys that have been meaningful to me and, and maybe one day meaningful to them. I've tried to take opportunities when I travel to write letters to them. Hmm. Uh, for a while it was when they were young and I, and I just wanted them to have some, if something happened to me. I wanted them to have letters that I had written to them. And it was a, it was a wonderful chance for me to, um, reflect on how they were growing and how they were developing to give suggestions. So many of those letters they've never even seen. Hmm. I've given them to Ansley, you know, one day they'll have something to read but uh, so that was one thing another thing that we chose to do <laughs> that we chose to do at one point at christmas is we decided that instead of gifts we would each choose a scripture that we thought was appropriate for each other member of the family wow and and maybe to write Mm-hmm. why we why we chose that scripture and our motivation was uh had had a couple of different aspects one was just to encourage the boys to to get into scripture yeah and right. and find some of the treasures yeah, that right. they thought would be really great for their for mm-hmm. their brothers yeah. and so that was uh we still we still do that and it's uh it's been fun to collect them over the years and, mm-hmm. and then look back on them. So those are just a couple of things that uh, uh, we, we've sort of stumbled along and we've had a lot of other things that we tried that probably didn't work very well, but mm-hmm. those are a couple that come to mind. We started at one point just talking about the, the wealth creation and on Wall Street mm-hmm. um, um, and what people tend to do with that and how that's shared and so beautifully generously shared and as I was thinking um, through that I was reminded of a something that you said um, to a group of, of us who had gathered at Stanwich right after Superstorm Sandy yeah. it was just David and and um, in our families David and me and our one of our boys who was still in high school and after you went through all the logistics of what the day would bring, we were going to somewhere in New York to help people that had been very, yeah. um, been had been devastated by the storm. And you said something so profound that I've never forgotten. And you said, um, we're just there to help another soul. We're not there to be their savior. There's only one of those, yeah. and it's Jesus. And I thought that was such a, great thing to be reminded of anytime we give of ourselves in any way, whether it's yeah. time or, or wisdom or money, but just to give with that spirit that we're really just, um, hand in arm in arm with, with an, and serving another person. I, I, I think of, um, one of my favorite images is something conjured up by a book by Henry Nowen. It's called the wounded healer. Mm-hmm. And I think of that a a lot because I think we all are 
we all have the capacity to be wounded and we all have the capacity to heal and, and help. Yeah. And, and when we are offering help to others with the spirit that we could be in their shoes the next yeah, week and right. they could be helping us in much the same way. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a different kind of feeling when you're helping others and giving to others or being helped by people. I find it very difficult when I'm in a situation where I need to receive help from others. That's not a comfortable place for me, but I think of this concept of the wounded healer that it's really two souls locked arm in arm and sometimes one is stronger than the other and that can be reversed or sometimes it's just two people kind of hobbling along together but I love that image and I think that is what um, God gives us this really wonderful opportunity to be servants and to help others in this world and and when we can do it with this spirit of just total gratitude and Mm-hmm. grace for because we know we have needed it and will need it but um i wanted to thank you for that ima- that 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 comment you made all those years ago because it really does not that i would ever think of myself as a savior but it does give you a spirit of humility when you're in a position to um support other those around us so that was something else i wanted to um that's great to I'm, re- offer. I'm reminded of a quote by a man named D.T. Niles, who said, evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find some bread. Mm-hmm. That's been very helpful mm-hmm. for me as I think about my role. I'm just, just the same as everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I can, I can point people to the source. That's the best I can do, but I need it too. Mm-hmm. Right. I think we'll end on that note. Thank you guys so much for your generosity of time and your marriage and leadership which i'll say again really is an inspiration to me and to many so thank you so much pleasure it's fun sort of reminiscing on some of this stuff thanks Nathan. you've been listening to jesus walks on wall street with your host pastor nathan hart 